up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMeo, and today we got rolling a little bit early here, Will, but uh, I'm fired up for this. I get to sit down, and we're going to talk about terminology and defining what we're actually training with Will Rattel. Will, thank you so much for spending the time with us today, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, bud. Well, listen, before we get too far into all this, man, let's uh, let's get the quick little 411 about how you got up there, you know, to the Fighting Hawks and everything that you're building up there. Yeah, so I played football here uh, between 2011 and 2015. Then I had a really short-lived on and off pro career in the NFL and CFL, and I was done by uh, I was done by 2018 playing. And I was just fortunate enough to have a good relationship with my current boss, who was my strength coach at UND. Um, so that when like the stars just kind of aligned, like I finished my playing career, there happened to be an open position at UND uh, kind of at the same time. And I kind of just fell into the position. So it was pretty lucky, um, very fortunate for that. And yeah, so I've been here since I think May, May of 2018. So I'm going on finishing my fifth year now, if my math is right. So yeah, that's kind of how I, that's how I ended up here. Um, I don't really plan on leaving because my wife and I just bought a house. We just found out we're pregnant. Um, so yeah, I like everything is, everything's pretty good right now. So this is where I'm probably going to be for a while. Well, first, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank Congrats you. Congrats to you and the missus. And uh, yeah, man, five years. It's great to be in one spot, especially a place that you're so familiar with. Um, you know, and uh, I think we should probably just start diving right into this, bro, because you and I were talking before we started recording here about, you know, really something that that I've probably come off a bit, um, get off my lawny old man, gray beardy when it comes to defining terms and understanding what we're talking about and really looking at the history of what we do to understand what we're actually trying to do and accomplishing. And, you know, we'll, we'll go back to the interwebs and we can tag the post on here. But a, a couple months back, you made a quote unquote, or I guess the kids nowadays would say hashtag controversial uh, statement about rotational power. So let's get into the thought process behind that, because I think that's going to be the backbone for everything else we're going to talk about. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So yeah, I made a post and basically the thesis of the post was rotational power is meaningless. And what I'm, what I really meant by the post is that the term rotational power is meaningless. Um, I think a lot of people interpreted, interpreted my post to mean that the output of producing power in this quote rotational context is useless, but that's not what I meant. Um, I meant that the, the term rotational power is kind of used as this umbrella term that just doesn't have any meaning behind it. And because there's no, there's no like, there's no way to consistently test quote rotational power across, across different means of testing. So oftentimes uh, an example of a baseball player hitting a ball hard off of a pitch or a tee or whatever is a demonstration of rotational power but then if you want to, if you want to quantify something, you need to have more than one test um, for it to be considered valid um, of testing it. And so can that same baseball player who can hit a ball, uh, hit a baseball uh, really hard or really far have uh, like a high, high exit velocity, 
can they demonstrate that via other activities, whether it's maybe hitting a golf ball, throwing a medicine ball, or really what pick, pick any activity, can they demonstrate this so-called rotational power in other activities? Uh, the answer is probably no, because really they're, they're good at the skill. They're good at the thing. They're good at hitting the baseball, right? So then this, this umbrella term of rotational power kind of loses its meaning. And so then the next question is, well, okay. So if you watch someone hit a baseball, or if you watch somebody throw a ball, or if you watch someone throw a medicine ball, or do any of these like often, uh, called rotational activities, they're going to every every individual is going to perform the activity a little bit differently. There's going to be a different degree of rotation occurring in the spine, a different degree of rotation occurring within the hips, the shoulders at, at different degree, at different degrees of rotation. Um, and also the, the, uh, the rotation itself is going to be context specific. Like if a baseball player is trying to hit the ball to the opposite field, the amount of rotation occurring at all these different joints is going to be different than if they're trying to pull the ball, you know, um, so then the question becomes, well, how much rotation at which joints, at what speeds, insert plenty of other things, is like, what's the criteria for an activity to be considered rotational, you know, like I'll go up. So I, I then I made a follow-up post on Instagram to the, to the, to the original one where I, I just, uh, I posted a video of myself doing a 360 dunk. And I don't think many people would consider that to be a demonstration of rotational power, but my body spins three, you know, my body spins 360 degrees. So there is obviously some rotation occurring somewhere within my kinetic chain. Um, and I just said, like in SpongeBob, like in the SpongeBob letters, it's rotational. Um, just kind of to like make fun of the people that I was originally criticizing, I guess. Um, so yeah, I just think like rotational power or rotate, like all of these, these subcategories of power just kind of are meaningless because power is the output power is the metric that can be measured. And then it's just demonstrated differently based on the context that you're in. So that's my, that's my position. Like I said, I probably could get into it a little bit more if I thought about it more and could write down some more points, but um, just thinking about it off the top of my head, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, I guess when we're looking at it, right, going back to the definition of terms and understanding what you're measuring, I think that this is something that has become, for whatever reason, a term that people like because it sounds right. Yeah, it sounds right. And then when you look at when you look at somebody throw a ball, well, yeah, you have this like macro lens, you can see some sort of rotation occurring somewhere. And it's easy to see. But if you watch somebody do, if you watch someone do a full snatch from the floor, catching in a full squat, there's rotation occurring at various joints of the body, you know, so then but no one would consider it. Obviously, the shoulders are going to externally rotate on a snatch. No one's going to consider a snatch a, quote, rotational movement or a demonstration of rotational power, you know. But there's rotation occurring. Right. I mean, again, there's rotation around every joint that is occurring yeah, exactly. with everything that moves. So 
it's semi a bastardized term that has a sexy appeal to quote unquote rotational athletes, right? Or what we would say, what we should say are throwing and hitting athletes. Yes. Right? Lacrosse. Yeah. With lacrosse, field hockey, ice hockey, baseball, fitting in there with quarterbacks and pictures and, and all of those. But what what I can see being the thought processes behind where that sexy term could be led astray is there's too many ways that how you would measure this, right? Like you would have to measure this somehow with like one of those fancy med balls that has an accelerometer in it or with a radar gun or maybe with one of these new devices that can actually measure maybe with a like a gym aware you could tie it and punch Mm -hmm. or something um or like i know people measure club speed with golf but you also need to look at within that right like we know that you can just simply you brought up the snatch but you can snatch pull at a greater power output from mid thigh than you can the hip from the knee than you can from the hip because there's more time to develop this so you what would be very hard with this for me and i guess you could also say this is for everything jay so shut up but like if you simply increased the range that they're providing themselves to be able to go through for the evaluation you could simply improve this just because there's more time to develop the force required to have the power output, which could have nothing, no impact at all in how they hit a ball. Yes. But right, yeah, it's not. Yes, will have no impact on the outcome of what actually occurs in practicality. Right, but I guess that that's hard too, though, when it comes to anything that we would evaluate whether it be a 10 or a fly 10 or mm-hmm. a five ten five or a vertical or whatever, like we can talk until we're blue in the face about how this could impact performance. But we all have had people that, you know, can combine test out the wazoo, but, you know, can't play worth a lick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, going back to what you said about throwing, you said throwing athletes, right? It's like, it's better to like clap, categorize these athletes instead of rotational athletes to call them throwing athletes or swinging athletes. Yeah. So I think that's a much better way to categorize these types of athletes because do you, you, you know, who Kelly Starrett is, I'm assuming, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So do you remember, uh, did you ever read his supple leopard book? Yes. Okay. So I can't remember if he called these movement archetypes or if he called these position archetypes it was something like that where um he had some sort of uh some sort of so like the lunge archetype is one foot out in front of the other foot you're in a split stance like uh like your left your left hip is in flexion your back hip is an extension and you 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 remember that part of the book like movement archetypes i think is what he called it so i think (laughs) what is more important is to instead of instead of using the term like rotational power 
and measuring rotational power and then trying to use whatever metric you're choosing to use as a way of, uh, I don't know if predicting is the right word, but predicting success in sport like baseball or lacrosse or hockey or whatever, um, is like, what is the task that they're performing? And do they is, is the general task, what's the general task? So like throwing is the general task. And like, it doesn't really matter what you're throwing, a baseball, a football, um, a frisbee, a medicine ball, there's going to be some, um, some kinematics, some movements, some positions that are going to be pretty consistent across all of these different throwing tasks. And so you can, you can call things like, I, I like to use the term task archetype, where Kelly Starrett says like movement archetype or position archetype. The task archetype matters more than uh, I would, I guess we could call it the output. So if you're good at throwing generally, throwing a medicine ball, throwing a Frisbee, throwing a football, you're probably going to, you're, the likelihood of you being able to throw a baseball accurately, precisely with a, with a high velocity is probably uh, more likely than if you are swinging a bat. So like, does this make sense? I don't know if this is making any sense to you or not, um, but like, the throwing archetype, if you're doing throwing things, you're going to get better at the spe specific type of throwing that you want to do because you have the general skill of throwing, you know, or like I would, I would say striking archetype striking. We can define striking as forcibly hitting or making contact with another object via your hand or something you're holding striking. Right. So if you are, if you train striking, Swinging, a, swinging something to hit something else, to hitting an external object, that's going to provide some value hitting a baseball or hitting a hockey puck or hitting a golf ball or, box, or hitting someone in boxing because you are developing the general uh, task of striking something. Does that make sense? I don't know if it does or doesn't. That's just No, 100%. Because what you're basically saying is you're following up in – in not so many terms, like you're following Bondarchuk's classification of exercises, is there's going to be a general developmental, and then there's going to be the specific developmental, and then the sport sporting exercise, right? So there is a general action to throwing, where there are certain positions or certain actions. For example, you need to separate your hips from your shoulders to be good. You need to have that separation to be good at throwing, whether you're throwing a baseball or you're pitching in cricket or you're a quarterback, it doesn't matter. Now, obviously, maybe softball is a little different because of the arm action coming down and that, but we can get into that another day. But like yeah. throwing but overhand. Still, I mean, like, the, like the timing of release, even with softball right. throwing something over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm following you. So then when you continue through that, right then you're developing the general aspects of whatever these actions may be to build then upon that base the sporting exercise or the specific skill that is done in sport practice which should therefore increase the outputs of what you're trying to do which is why they long toss and they do you know practice with throwing technique and why you know, a couple episodes before this, Mike Thompson, who's at Coastal Carolina, is talking about 
the biomechanical work that they did with the Orioles and how they're looking to expand that into college. So you can look at not just the quote unquote specific techniques that are general through all say left-handed pitchers, but let's say Will is a high level left-handed pitcher. What are the things that make him unique? And are they a productive or B destructive, right? That could lead to problems and figure out if we need to emphasize that or protect from that. So there's, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that we all too often, we love to have sexy terms. So we sound smart and we're able to justify what we do. Comma, we also like to say that we need to keep things simple and keep them practical and start and be with the basics. Um, and I think that where you're going with this is you can't have both, but you need to build the, the ladder so that you can assist with the prize. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't really have much more to elaborate on or to add to what you just said. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. So then how can we look at this evaluation-wise? And then how can this then sort of pour over into other things that we're doing? And how can we, as a vocation overall, in Will's mind, do better with terminology, evaluation, that can then drive and impact preparation to improve performance? Yeah, I don't really know. I think, uh, so like training-wise, I think you want to get – you want to improve your ability to produce high outputs and improve your maximal capacities, and then really just expand upon the context in which you can produce those outputs and capacities. And I think, are you familiar with Austin Yoakum? Yes. I haven't had the opportunity yeah. to speak with him, but I know who he is. Yeah. So like, he does, I think he puts out a lot of really good, good stuff about this. Um, he's very uh, uh, philosophical in the, in the way he uh, words things, which is good. But um, really, that's, that's, that's what it is. Like, get good at producing outputs and then expand upon the context in which you can produce the output. So, like, um, get really good at jumping in uh, an advan ad advantageous position where you can really reach high outputs or sprinting or like a, a, a 10 yard fly with a 20 yard build where you can really reach maximal velocity. And then once you get good at these outputs, just start training these outputs in variety of contexts so that you don't necessarily, you're competent and confident with using the outputs, but you're not relying on the outputs to get the job done. Does that make sense? A trillion percent. I love the idea of expand upon the context where you can improve your outputs simply uh, because it's confirmational bias. Um, <laughs> if I may. But, you know, like, I think that, you know, the one thing that I've kind of started to talk more and more about with the players that I get to work with and other coaches is it's our job to make sure, especially, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, but college basketball, like there's, I've got like a one week off season, right? Yeah. And the only other time they're not playing, they're at home and they're playing when they're at home. So it's like, yeah. there's no time where they're away. So our job seems more and more to be 
we need to increase the quantity of practices they're able to handle, the duration of practice that they're able to handle, and the intensity of practice that they're able to handle, and trust our sport coaches that they're able to improve their special work capacities and their skill as they go on. The latter is always up for another conversation, which at this hour, we can't have the beers that we would need to to really get into it. But yeah, with, with that being said, I think it's under the similar thought process of, for example, building aerobic capacity and aerobic uh, power throughout the off season so that they recover better within and between bouts and they can work out longer to work on their sporting skill is vital. But then bringing them back, they not only need to work on that, but they need to be prepared to be able to do so in a multi-directional stop and start sort of way. So when you come back, you know, you've been building these bases. It's then the time to do more tempo work on the court where it's stop and starts and there's change of directions and different running patterns. And so you're actually producing these bases in a quote unquote specific as I throw up in my mouth for saying that <laughs> manner, but also just more so you're just preparing them to expand the context that they can perform or work within these quote unquote zones so that what they do at practice is easier so they can go longer, harder, more intensely, more often. And you can see the snowball rolling downhill. I hope. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, again, I got nothing to elaborate on. Like you can put it a lot more eloquently than I can. Um, so yeah, I got nothing to add to that. Except I agree. <laughs> All right. So then where do you see ways because this is stemmed from, from a team with a coach. So here's my next one for you. And I think that this is the hard one. And I'm going to ask this selfishly because in 20 minutes, I have a meeting with a coaching staff to talk about similar things to this. How can we communicate it better with coaches? How can we help them understand? This is going to sound bad. I don't know if I mean it to sound bad or not, but how can we help them understand that they don't understand and that they need to take a step back? Um, I have no answer to that. There's been so many different answers that have been thrown out that I feel like I've tried that doesn't, like it really just comes down to, um, I don't want to put my ego aside, you know, like uh, a head coach doesn't want to put his ego aside. And just like the way that, uh, college athletics is set up like we work for a sport coach and obviously the sport the sport is more important than the training because that's what athletes are here to do um, but then if you like follow that to its logical conclusion then uh, strength and conditioning coaches shouldn't have a say in anything you know um, so like I've I've tried to do the like put the ego aside please the coach um, approach him with a respectful manner um, and if and if you do that, then eventually you're going to build trust and rapport and they're going to listen to you. But that really doesn't work unless the coach is, has a good personality. You know, I don't really have it. I don't know, man. Um, it really, I think it just comes down to our, is you, does your personality align with the coach that you're working for's personality? And a lot of times it doesn't. But with, you mentioned how we have to justify our position a lot of times. And that's why we come up with fancy terms. And that's obviously true, but then that's, I think the, the situation that we're in is partly why we have to do that, you know, because we get paid less than a sport coach. 
the sport is more important than training. Like just in reality, we are less important than the head coach, the assistant coaches, the players, the sport. And we end up having to, to come up with a variety of ways to try to make things work. But I don't want to put my ego aside. Like I've compromised so many of my um, values and principles in order to try to make things work with different coaches. And it doesn't work, you know, like it doesn't, it really doesn't solve anything because eventually you're going to continue to compromise and compromise and compromise that you have no integrity left. You know what I mean? And that's happened to me before. And so I think it just really comes down to does your personality and does your values align with the coach that you're working for? And if it doesn't, then I don't think there's really anything you can do about it unless you just want to continue to compromise your own principles and values, which I don't want to do. And I don't think anybody really wants to do because that leads to a life of being unfulfilled. <laughs> so I don't have an answer for that, man. I don't know. Do you have, have you found a certain approach that works? Man, I don't know. I guess I've just been really lucky to be here for as long as I have and, and, trying to have a coach you know and there's good and bad with this where they kind of just let me do whatever yeah and uh, the, the other part to, a, too to is an like, extent i'm i don't want to outsource all of my faculties of reason to other people i want to be able to make my own decisions i feel like i am competent i have the con i have the competence to do so um but then we're in the world of sports everything is everything is ego driven it's driven by competition the desire to win um so like the mentality i have obviously most coaches have that same mentality they don't want to they don't want to outsource their faculties of reason they have experience they don't want to outsource every decision regarding um health and wellness and performance and fitness just to me because they they have their own way of thinking and the, they think certain things too for a reason and so why why i don't know why would you want to outsource your faculties of reason to a third party almost ever don't you trust your own decision making better than every and everybody and anybody else so like if a coach thinks that way i think that way there's going to be a clash unless unless you guys um find common ground and have a same a similar personality you know does that make sense no, 100%. And I think that that's why it does work for the most part, too, because really, you know, with, with Moon and I, it's like, what are we doing to take care of the guys and make sure that they're getting what they, they need? And I'm willing to sit and talk and listen to them to build the whatever we want to call the summer off-season stuff with the thought process of, I know what's best for us when we need to prepare for the season. So we're going to put the things that I think are going to build us to be best ready to prepare for the eight weeks we have before the season, which let's be honest, that's really all that matters. And I'm going to do some stuff over here to make you guys happy. That's going to fit in the mold of what I need to do to prepare you to be ready to do that. And I'm going to do the things that I know that need to be done um, fitness wise that'll allow you to be ready to do the stuff that's important when we get back while working in some things that'll make you happy. It's like, um, it's like, I'm just hiding the spinach in the smoothies. <laughs> um, yeah, which yeah. I actually do every yeah. day with these guys. <laughs> so, so I guess 
I agree completely with what you're saying. But I would also say that if there are things, if we do have the expertise and we believe that they have the expertise in the sport and the athletes are the PhDs in their sport, then listening to where they need help, providing some of that along with what we know is going to have a better impact of that should make a pretty good chilling. Yeah. How long you've been there for over 20 years. Uh, this will be our 20th, my 20th year starting in August. And are you men's basketball only? Um, I've worked with every team we have on campus except two right now. I work directly with the men and our tennis team. And I guess I oversee the women and women's tennis too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a pretty good. So how long has the head coach for basketball been there? 18. This will be his 19th Oh, wow. So you guys have been together for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had, you've had a lot of time to work out differences and different kind of like, I guess, kinks in the, in the chain, huh? Well, I think I've never never worked with a coach that long. I think the one thing that I would say, if I'm being totally honest, is I don't know if you ever really worked out the kinks in the chain or whatever, but I think that you just learn that it's like, that's just how this dude is. And I'm either going to work with it or get worked out of it. So, yeah, you know, you understand, like, you know, it's like you understand how your better half likes her coffee. You're not going to make her coffee a different way because you don't want to hear the bullshit, you mm-hmm. know? Like, it's kind of the same way with, like, what we do in here. Like, there are some certain things that I know that he wants. There are some certain things that he knows that are valuable to me. Whether he really cares one way or the other is not inconsequential. But he understands that we're in this together and that the things that I do well, I'm going to really double down on. And the things that he wants, I'm going to do my best to work in. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, this is my third athletic trainer, too. And I've been really lucky with those three because they've brought me a unique point of view, but also been very open to communicating and providing their different perspective into how we can be better and really have been a communication assistant with the the rest of the department. Um, and, and I guess to, you know, I, I, the parts of my ego that I'm willing to set aside are probably helpful as well. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight a couple things when I could give up one or two to get three or four. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that? So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if, if that's like the idea of knowledge is knowing tomatoes are fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Um, mm-hmm. Or if it's just the fact that Moon and I have been together for longer than you know some GAs have been alive. Yeah. And you guys have a pretty good relationship off the court or like outside of work too? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean like Yeah, listen, that's good too. I think everybody yeah, I actually wants think, to get away. But you know when I they think can it's really important yeah, I mean, to like be friends with people you work with too. 
Um, I think 100%. obviously there's like, there's like a lot of nepotism in sports, you know, where um, people will just hire like the nephew of somebody that they know, or they'll just hire a friend, you know, like that happens all, all the time in sports. But I actually don't see that as, as, as much of a negative as a lot of people do. Like, I think it's good to like the people you work with. I think that's, that's going to set you up for more success than um, two people who don't necessarily have a friendship, but they have like the knowledge, you know, like if two people get along really well, they're going to be able to feed off of each other in like friendly terms. And that's going to produce more success than two people who don't necessarily get along, but they are, they could be considered like more knowledgeable than um, the previous two that I just mentioned, you know? Dude, 100%. And maybe, maybe that's, bu- maybe that's bullshit. Maybe that's not true, but I just kind of have a gut feeling that um, that is really important. Liking the people no. and being friends with the people you work with. Even if you, I, even if you like are making mistakes um, training wise or practice wise, strategy wise. Um, but I think being, having a really good relationship, being friends with the people and liking the people that you're working with is very underrated. When you're on the road as much as we are together, um, there have been times where there have been people that I have not been very fond of, and I'm sure that they didn't like me all that much either. It sucks. So, like, being able to get along with people one trillion percent is vital. Mm-hmm. Well, well, listen, man, this has been a dope 40 minutes, but I gotta, I can't let you get out of here without talking about the project, dude. Um, I want to make sure that people understand, you know, what you've put out and the the product you've got going and everything to make sure that we can get that a plug here on the, on the show as well. Okay. Um, yeah. So I got Haas, uh, the Haas project, Haas Olympic, they're both like 10 to 12 page eBooks kind of discussing different principles. Haas Olympic obviously is includes like Olympic lifting. And that's really what the eBook is about is how to, uh, how to implement Olympic lifts. If your goal isn't Olympic lifting, but your goal is sports performance. Um, or how to, how to implement them into your programming and why I, I'm a proponent of them. And then the Haas project is get big, get strong, get fast, get athletic um, without Olympic lifting. So I got two options for people who want to want Olympic lift, who don't want Olympic lift. And then I got another one coming out in May. It's going to be called Launch 2.0. Um, it's going to be more so on um, speed and explosiveness, um, elasticity, that kind of stuff. And so hopefully I can get that done and put out in May. Um, and that'll be, I think it's like 25 pages right now. I don't know if I want it to be that long. I don't know. We'll see uh, what the final product of that looks like when I put it out in May. But yeah, those are what I got going on. I got my YouTube channel where I kind of just, I kind of just barf out random thoughts that I have throughout the day. Um, a lot of them, a lot of times it can be very incoherent, but I hope I get the message across. Um, and then I use my Instagram to, um, Put out some other thoughts too and again those are probably a lot of times very incoherent because i'm not very eloquent <laughs> with my communication but yeah so that's what i got going on love it man and we'll make sure that we've got a link to not just the products but also the youtube channel and the instagram down below here so people can check that out will thank you so much man this is a kicking show i appreciate your time your honesty and your your candidness to discuss with us today Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to have me on. Yeah, brother. Well, listen, man, and we'll be in touch soon. Keep kicking butt up there. Stoked to check out what you got coming out this summer. Sounds good, man. Take care. Yeah, bud. And as always, thank you for everything you all do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. 
We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We'll see you then. <laughs>